My mother died on October 18th, 2014, a date I'm always forgetting. I don't know why exactly, if it's because I don't want to remember, or if the actual date seems so unimportant in the grand scheme of what we endured. She was 56 years old. I was 25, an age my mother had assured me for years would be special. It was the same age my mother had been when she met my father, the year they got married, the year she left her home country, her mother, and two sisters, and embarked on a pivotal chapter of her adult life, the year she began the family that would come to define her. For me, it was the year things were supposed to fall into place. It was the year her life ended, and mine fell apart. We're doing fine, I'm doing fine. Welcome to We're Doing Fine Book Club Edition. He's Robbie. And she is Lisa. And this month we read Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Yes, Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. What happened? Oh no, you guys just say H. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, my Wi-Fi is out, so I was like, did she not hear me introduce the book? <laughs> no. No, this this month we read A Monster Calls Part 2. Yeah, literally, literally. <laughs> it was scarily on topic. Oh my gosh, we were like, oh cool, fun, this is totally different, it's a memoir, it opens with that. It, it literally picks up from the very first line from where um, A Monster Calls Drops. A Monster Call Drops Off. Literally. Luckily for you and I, we have a lot of listener questions, but first... Synopsis? Do we need a synopsis oh, for a memoir? That feels a little weird. Yeah, that weird one. I mean, it, it'll be a short synopsis. So this book is essentially, um, basically, there was no spoilers in the, in the tagline, uh, the the starting quote. Um, this book is about Michelle's honor and how um she dealt with her mother, not just dying but her cancer diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. and we'll probably talk about it. I'm hoping someone's sent questions. I finished the book at um quarter to one this morning, <laughs> and we're recording at five a.m. So I've looked at fucking nothing. This is entirely led by Lisa. Um, but one I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But one of the things that I loved is that from the very start of the book, you, she tells you that her mother dies. And the yeah. rest of the book is about her family's struggle with the cancer diagnosis and how mm-hmm. they dealt with it. And also, which was heartbreaking, the hope that she had that the chemotherapy would work and how the yeah. family came together to support her. And it, like it got to the bit where I would forget that her mum died. And I was like, well, gosh, I hope this round works. And then I'd have to be like, <laughs> no, Rob, it doesn't. And it will be painful. And I was like, oh, oh no. Yeah, yeah they rip off the band-aid, but then they put it back on and rip it off slower the second yeah. time. Yeah, it's like it, it goes from a band-aid to just like waxing your legs. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the, the most uh, spoiler-free synopsis I can think of. Is there really spoilers in someone's life? Well, yeah, if you haven't read it. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I interrupted you earlier. If you remember, what were you talking about? Which is very early for you while we're recording. It's very possible that you don't. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I was like, you were like, you go. I'm like, did you just forget what you were talking about? Robbie is recording this at like 4.30 his time, like in the a.m. Mm, Despicable, but thank you. Oh, anytime. Book club is important. Yes. Also slightly your fault for not finishing the book by Sunday, but you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm telling mm. myself it's also Lucky your fault because you just forgot about recording it. So I did not. <laughs> I, uh, I I asked Lisa on Saturday while we recorded the regular episode, when are we going to record Book Club? And Lisa was like, oh yeah, that needs to be done. <laughs> Saturday was so long ago, okay. <laughs> I was on vacation mode. It was Thanksgiving. Yeah, mm-hmm, that's fair. <laughs> I get so little vacation, Robbie. <laughs> it wasn't even Saturday. It was on Wednesday when we recorded vo- a regular episode. Thursday. Oh, yeah. We recorded Thursday, so you didn't have to record during... Yeah, so see? Yeah. So long ago. I finished by Sunday. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, sorry, I had to work <laughs> most of the week. <laughs> well, we have a lot of listener questions. So, shall we get into it? Yes, this is your final warning. Spoilers ahead. Yeah, go and read it. Beautifully written. All right. This one comes from Bill. Thank you, Bill. This book has a lot of food mentioned in it and connects to food to comfort and love and family and tradition. What's one food in your life that is this, that has this same connection for you? Oh, Bill, thank you. First of all, Bill is right. There was so much food mentioned in this <laughs> that all I want is Korean food. Like, I've just been going on and on all month of it. Guys, could we go to Korean barbecue soon? Guys, could we go to Korean barbecue soon? <laughs> oh my God, please. And like every time she, I've got a list in my book, which is probably absolutely butchered <gasps> because most of it is in the Korean language. So like some yeah. I know, kimchi, and then some I'm just like phonetically spelling because I had the audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go to a restaurant and just be like, like just trying to sound out like <laughs> do you have this um oh what but, what are you what are some of the things you want because i know we had korean food and that was pretty new for you you couldn't eat most yes. of it because it's too spicy too spicy but i've been training myself after you guys <gasps> proud of me. you guess what guess what i put on my ham and cheese panini at work <gasps> what sriracha so proud of you it was too spicy but i tried (laughs) (laughs) you know you know it's it's a learning process i'm still proud of you you gotta you gotta push those limits to go beyond them yeah exactly exactly you gotta reach for the stars to land on the moon right is that it exactly or do you reach for the moon to land in the stars one or the other six of one half a dozen near the other Anyway, Bill asked me a question, and um, it's very What's unbranded. What's your comfort food? Yeah. On Thursday, on Friday, I'm going to my mother's for <gasps> steak and chips. It is oh. what is made for me every time I go visit, and it's delightful. Oh yeah, you did mention to me that's what you want at our wedding. 
yeah, steak and chips. And it's got yeah. to be cooked by James. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I'll be like, James, you are invited, but you won't be there for the meal because I need you to make 300 <laughs> steak and chips. A band. <laughs> We're having that big of a wedding? I don't even know 150 people, let alone we that would go to Scotland. Well. We have to make it look real. <laughs> very real what are you talking about yeah sorry if yeah, guys we have like almost 200 episodes of us discussing our desire to get married <laughs> <laughs> this is very true the green card bit's just a joke don't worry <laughs> just a joke he's very straight i mean bisexual one over the other <laughs> whatever Take works for you dear <laughs> What about you, Lisa? Any familial meals? Yeah, I read this question wrong at first, and I was like, what Korean food do you want? And I'm like, oh, I always want tteokbokki. Like, <laughs> give me those spicy rices. I don't know. As far as, like, comfort food that's, like, full of love and family and tradition, like, I think the only one that I could really, like, connect is, like, dinner the, the Christmas morning breakfast that my mom makes, which yeah. I think I've discussed. Our crimbo, our crimbo breakfast is an egg casserole that's full of like three different yeah. kinds of cheeses and Jimmy Dean sausage and is a horrible cholesterol ball, but it's delicious. We love to hear it. Yeah. But you know, the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> and we give it what it wants. Well, only once a year. Yeah, but... And boy, howdy, the leftovers taste fine. They look even worse than the original casserole. <laughs> it's not a it's not a dish that stays together. <laughs> All right, our next question comes from Jenna. Jenna asks, Zoner's mother had a ten percent rule where she always withheld ten percent of herself from her relationships. Do you think this is a good rule, and do you follow it? Yes, except I've got more like a 50% rule. Wow, rude. <laughs> Just not a sharer. <laughs> Even from me, Robbie? He says, having a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a really private person, actually. Well, that doesn't count for getting married. That's true. Nothing secret from you. <laughs> oh, the boy's going to be upset listening to this one. I don't know if he listens to book clubs. And not really. He trusts you. He trusts us. He knows. He knows <laughs> yeah. our love. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I think it's a good rule. It can fuck up your family, as we saw, especially like on their vacation when her dad like lashed out at her. That was pretty fucked up. And she was like, "Is the ten percent she withheld? Did she withhold ten percent from me too? Did she withhold a different ten percent from both of us?" Like, but. I think it's a good rule in general of just like protecting yourself. Yeah, but Make also sure like, that no matter what happens, like your world isn't going to end. Yeah, and just like not being overbearing. Not that anyone that overshares is overbearing, but having a healthy internalization. Yeah. It's like healthy to a level, as long as she's not keeping 90% to herself. Yeah, and I think there is an amount that is that would be too much, but I think it's always good to have like a little bit of yourself. You keep it secrets, keep it safe. Just yeah, keep your secrets. A bit of uh, mysteriousness. Yeah, get an air of mystery. That's important. Can we talk about that scene? 
where her dad was just like, your mom told me to not let you take advantage of me. Yes. Fucked up. I really didn't enjoy the dad in this book. And I understand that he was like grieving and stuff. But so was his daughter. (laughs) Like, like, it killed Mm -hmm. me when her mom was in the hospital. And like in Korea and... He, she was like, where's my husband? Like, yeah. that's the person that you guys took vows to, like, take care of each other. And, like, this is the in-sickness part, bro. Mm-hmm. It was when, um, for me, it was when Michelle was, like, she started to resent her dad because her dad was saying things that she thought was unspeakable. Like, what do we do if this doesn't work? Yeah. She's like, I thought we couldn't say things like that. Yeah, like, I wouldn't, I'm not even willing to entertain that possibility. Though I do understand that point. Like, I do understand the dad's perspective in that. Like, you have to be prepared for the worst things possible. Yeah. But, like, is the grieving daughter the person to, like, spitball these things to? No, but she was the adult in that situation a lot, it seemed like. Yeah. Unfortunate. All right, we have a voice message from Hannah. Thank you, Hannah, for sending that in. Hi, guys. Thanks for another really great book this month. I think this time I'm not going to share my interpretation of the book or anything. Um, And instead, I wanted to ask a kind of open-ended and vague question. And that's, since this is a memoir, we are constantly confronted with the realities of somebody else's life whether that's situations or relationships, um, just anything like that. I think seeing the facts of another person's life or hearing the stories, the way that you react to those things can help you understand more about yourself. So, for example, for me, um, the relationship with Michelle and her mother, a lot of aspects of it brought to the surface for me that I still need to work on forgiving some things from my childhood. Um, And similarly, the way that the family came together to care for Michelle's mom as she was passing away or struggling with cancer um, and some of the things that they came up with as they were caring for her, it made me realize that I don't really forgive myself quite yet for not being a better carer for people in the past um, because I didn't know enough to maybe do some of the things that her family was doing, Um, you know, like small little things like big plates with small meals, making it look more manageable, like all that kind of thing. Um, It really brought up some realizations in me, I think, as I was reading. So I guess just because this is a memoir and because it's easy to either relate to or feel pain through other people's stories, um, what did this book teach you about yourself? What did you really feel like resonated with you? What did you learn about yourself? That's what I want to know this month. And thanks again. Thank you, Hannah. I think that was a really good, like, I don't know. I I think it definitely did make me think, especially about my relationship with my mom. Like, I don't know. It's so hard. And I think there is something specific between mothers and daughters that is different than a relationship between, like, a daughter and a father, for sure. But It's just the way that they can, like, really ticket you. And I'm sure it's kind of the same with everybody's mom. But your mom knows the perfect ways to make you tick. 
They know the perfect ways to pick at your insecurities because they made them. And maybe that's some introspection I need to do about my own relationship with my mother. Let's now get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Are you telling me a podcast is not the place to get into that? Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, I think it definitely did make me reflect on my relationships with my parents, especially since I have a very similar difference between like culture and like heritage between my parents as a biracial person. And it's, it's very interesting because, like, my dad is Sri Lankan, my mom is white, but my dad acts very white, so it's kind of different. But especially with, like, biracial people, whoever your main primary caregiver is between your parents is the culture that you get. And I kind of had a similar but opposite um, relation to culture through my parentage to Michelle, where I'm like, I wish I had known more about the other half because I wasn't surrounded by it, you know, in the rest of my life in school or anything like that yeah oh, how about you how did it make you confront the realities of your parents ravi hmm. watch out lorraine is listening probably <laughs> yeah always hi lorraine um, no like there wasn't too much there wasn't too much realization i felt it was a really obviously honest portrayal of mother-daughter relationship i liked the i liked the description of the change Mm. of how she was like vehemently anti-korean for lack of a better phrase because she wanted to fit in at school she wanted to fit in at uni you know she didn't want to appear otherly and then she had the the change of heart when her mother got cancer where she was like i want to know everything korean because it's it's you know it'll be another connection to my mother yeah. And then the struggle of that she's not Korean enough for her mom and her 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 Korean family. And there's a great line yeah. when she was talking about high school, and she said, "Oh, you know they're they're not including me because I'm Korean or something." Mm-hmm. And her mom goes, "But you're not Korean, you're American." And just like that heart <coughs> that heartbreaking realization of even my mom doesn't include me in that. Like yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, we have a question from Callum on that subject. Thank you, Callum. Michelle reflected on her identity as a biracial woman throughout the book, through dropping parts of her name, how she looked, and how soul felt less hers after her mother passed. Do you find yourself thinking similarly? For Robbie, this can be more of a reflection as being both a white man and how that reflects on your identity of being a gay man. Sorry, I think I fell asleep. Can you say that question again? (laughs) I'm so sorry. <laughs> no worries. So sorry. <laughs> uh, the question is, Michelle reflected on her identity as a biracial woman throughout the book, through dropping parts of her name, how she looked, and how self and how soul felt less hers after her mom after her mother passed. Do you ever find yourself thinking similarly? For Robbie, this can be more of a reflection of how being a white man reflects on your identity of being a gay man as well because you're not a biracial woman thank you callum i'm i'm not yeah <laughs> sorry not sorry <laughs> can't be part of my club observation there <laughs> me and michelle's honor <laughs> yeah yeah i think a stark part of this was when she was talking about um how she wanted a career in music but then she saw um another asian woman musician and she's like, well, there's no space for me. There's already one. 
And that's that scarcity mindset of being like, there's already one representation of me out there. I have to do something else. And she was like, wait, would a white guy ever think that? Think, oh, there's already a white guy singer in a band? No, of course not, because white guys in bands are everywhere. Yeah. So I think like, I don't know, I think having like part of your culture be subverted by another part of, you know, who you are. Like, especially being someone biracial, you know, I have a very easy first name because my parents intentionally gave me a very white first name. That was an intentional choice on their part. But then I got teased a lot for my last name um, growing up because it's long. And like, even now, oh my gosh, like at my graduation, someone like my teacher stopped and was like, asked another teacher to pronounce my last name and they were like this one was your student jesus wasn't cool you guys no like it's that that part of like as we were just talking about like i'm too white for for the sri lankans but i'm not white enough for white people (laughs) like and i think that's reflected a lot in like some friends who are from like more homogenic like areas will like look at me and they're like oh you look just like moana or something and i'm like girl girl (laughs) no i'm like i look like bell i don't know what you're talking i guess maybe if it's been a real hot summer but yeah you're like bitch you called my hair messy (laughs) oh hey her hair is beautiful okay there's no slander here for moana (laughs) Are you tell me she's not using a salt spray on that hair of hers? Oh yeah, true. Does wonders. Does wonders. That's a joke because it's the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's that thing where people will always push you towards the other end of whatever they are. Um, though I didn't run into this while doing some backpacking. I think because, like, especially in Southern Europe, people just tend to be more tan, so they kind of just assumed wherever I was, whatever they were had that problem in like Italy and Portugal where people would just like speak Italian and Portuguese at me and I'm like uh, I've bamboozled you <laughs> this is all a trick a big haze I mean it, it does differ like I think there was like a moment of not feeling quite enough um in my first year of college or uni um I just happened to sit next to this girl who was also Sri Lankan. And I had met like two other Sri Lankan people in like my whole life outside of my family. And she was like, Hey, like there's this whole group, this there's a whole group of Sri Lankan people. And like, I was like, Oh, amazing. Awesome. This is so cool. I can learn the culture, but it came with this assumption that I already knew it. Like they would all speak Sinhalese. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what you guys are saying. Yeah. Because I just, was not surrounded by it in the way that, you know, I wish I had in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. How about you? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's the same, but um, I think it it kind of touches on... So, like, obviously, I'm white, which is great. It's very useful. <laughs> Especially where you're in. Gosh, where you're at. Oh, for sure. Um, I'm also very masculine presenting mm-hmm. and also which i guess as awful as it is to say is also in in exactly the same way i meant it just now is that's also very useful in this day and age 
um, because it is, I've lacked depression, which is fairly nice. Um, so I don't think I have any sort of meaningful thing to add there of like the conflict, but what it does mean is that I have that flip side of I'm aware that there's a side of my identity where there's a whole community that I just haven't really mm. been aware of because it's not not something I've been presented with in my life. And I then did a deep dive, I think you remember, at Pride, where I was then reading um, essays and memoirs of of people not, you know, gay and not white, you know, people that were from minorities that maybe had a harder time being gay than I did um, mm-hmm. and sort of got in touch with the, that side of my identity through that bit and sort of got to relate through that so it's sort of the opposite version of that where I'm not one or the other enough that I'm outsidered I I am very much in the club that is useful to be in not that that should be a thing but yeah I've very much been accepted. Uh, yeah, love that. Great. Um, <laughs> but also very aware that a lot of people haven't been and their voices are just as important. So, you know, I've never felt like... I never felt like part of my identity was outsided or othered. But mm. I've always been... I think I'm a pretty cool guy, very nice person, and aware that... Not everyone has that privilege. So, you know, it then inspired me to deep dive into that. And I just, it, it's just, yeah, it's not something that I could, um, what's the word? I don't have that viewpoint of being othered. Like, even when people find out I'm gay, they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. I'd never have known. And it's like you get a badge and a certificate for passing for straight. And you're like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Yeah. the fuck? So... Yeah, I was stressing a bit answering that question because I was like, oh, I've never been. Never, no idea. <laughs> it's all good. Hey, fewer struggles for you. Gold star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're kind of running a bit longer for a book club, like, but we do how have to one phrase more this. question. What? I was just saying, like, how to say this without coming across like a dickhead, but like, I've not had a struggle. Go me. <laughs> Well, we have a couple more questions, but I think a lot of them are very related to food, um, which we can just talk about. (laughs) I'm so Um, hungry. Can we skip them? Okay. Yeah, I know. It's very early for you. So let's go on to H-Mart itself. We have a question from Callum again. Thank you, Callum. The question is, H-Mart is a unique grocery chain in the way it creates a sort of third space for the immigrant community it serves. How do you think the elimination of third spaces has has affected American culture? Robbie, how do you think the elimination of third spaces has affected American culture? I think third spaces <laughs> are very important. Do you know what the concept of a third space is? Bitch, is that a, is that a joke? Of course I Just do. Just checking. Mm-hmm. Thank Okay, please give a synopsis for the crew in case they don't know. So the third space is a social concept created um, in the early 90s by a dude I cannot remember. 
um, but it suggested that there were three spaces in someone's life. So the first one is home, mm-hmm. where you live and are raised. The second one is work, where mm-hmm. you work. And the third space is somewhere that you can go outside of those two other spaces and connect with people about mm-hmm. your community and just talk and have a safe space to share ideas and communicate with uh, people that are important to you um, yeah. and also do things without the pressures that come with space one and two you know so you can read a book and not worry about your family and making dinner or work etc and I do think uh, work aside I do think those spaces are very important I know that throughout uni I used them a lot because you can do what you want and you don't have to talk to anyone if you don't want to yeah and like that is an interesting thing that like the uk does kind of have third spaces still um like in coffee shops and libraries and universities and pubs and i think a lot of the third spaces in the u.s have very much eroded because of our capitalist nature because everything within those third spaces has completely become about the transaction. Like, you cannot spend time in those spaces without spending money, and it becomes very expensive and therefore inaccessible to use those spaces. It can be seen as our, you know, to-go coffee culture. You don't really sit in a Starbucks. A lot of our Starbucks aren't comfortable to sit in. You guys have comfy chairs. We don't have comfy chairs. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think third spaces would be a really cool thing, um, specifically in Matown. We are trying to like work harder to create those kinds of third spaces. I feel a bit awkward, though, like because it's just something I'm not used to. I'm like, there's nothing I have to buy to be here. This is what? What the fuck? It's not just a park. Um, so yeah. the other thing is a lot of our third spaces are in our outdoors, which I mean, in California, fine. You can use most outdoors most of the time, except with babies. We're babies who don't like cold. I have the heater on right mm-hmm. now. And I think it's a beautiful place to have a third space. I think the fact that it has, you know, its restaurant area, it really helps create a bit more community. Like she was talking about, you know, generations of women going to grab their, you know, meals there or like, exchange students getting a piece of home there and while it's not a complete third space because you probably can't camp out there for you know longer than your meal but i think it serves as a good place to you know foster community which is something we severely lack indeed which is why we're so individualistic and fucked yay love that let's go get to bucky I wish we had titles <laughs> and I would have called this one individualistic and fucked. Well, you know, we can't use that word. Well, I mean, I guess we did use twopped in the last one. Does that sound a little, a little bit more normal? <laughs> I've put an asterisk in it because I remembered Easy A and she got sent to detention for calling her a twop. <gasps> Who's Easy A? Oh, Easy A from uh, Emma Stone. Yeah. So. I don't know. It feels weird to ask for like favorite scenes and characters from a memoir. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wait, what was her? What was her fiance husband's name? Peter. 
Peter. I... Peter. Horrifyingly. I don't know if this was just you. Horrifyingly, I thought he was going to leave her like halfway through the book. Same. I was like, this is a tragic woman kind of book. Especially when she was like, if you're going to marry me in the next five years and you don't do it now, I'll resent you forever. And he was like, sure, okay. And I was like, oh, they go get divorced. He was so chill. (laughs) They go get divorced. Oh my God, yeah. Glad that worked out for her. Yeah. Well, we've not giggled what happened after the book. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like it's weird to ask for favorite character, but I'm going to do it. Who was your favorite character? Peter was mine. He was so chill. Heartbreakingly, it was the mom. Yeah. Mm. She was Oh, we have not discussed her at all, but were you pro or or anti-K? Oh my gosh, K. I could not tell what was going on with her. I Honestly, I'm neutral towards Kay because like I feel like she probably had like an abusive husband back home and just wanted to stay there. <laughs> Cuz I was like this is a tragic woman book. I just really felt for Michelle when she was like am I a terrible person for like resenting and having conspiracies about this woman who's just flown across the world to help us like my mum. And I was like no, she's being weird. She's being weird. She was a bit weird, but I think that could be, like, cultural differences, you know? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Oh, wait, never mind. My favorite favorite quote-unquote character was her aunt in um, in Seoul. Oh, was it Unmi? Yeah. Mm. Or does that just mean aunt? Yeah. Oh. It's okay. It's all all good. I'm white. I don't care about other communities and cultures, okay? (laughs) Oh, next time you're here, I'm going to have to take you to H Mart. Oh my god, yes. H Mart's so good. It's where I get all of my snacks. (laughs) It's just the produce that you can't find at other places, like proper lemongrass and like Japanese pumpkins and things like that. Applegrass. No, lemongrass. Did I say applegrass? No, no, that was the Doctor Who quote. Oh, do you guys have a thing called applegrass over there? No, no, it's in the future. Um, David Tennant tells Rose to sniff the grass and she sniffs it and then she goes apple grass (laughs) oh I don't remember that I need to rewatch it's in the episode with the cats in the hospital oh yeah where they're feeling they get the patches for emotions yeah anyways yes how would you rate this book I'd give it a four out of five only because it was depressing as fuck (laughs) you know I think I agree with you um I think that might just be like me coming off of a monster calls right into sadness, but man, it 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 made me feel things. I definitely teared up mm-hmm. and I definitely I was definitely like walking to Bevmo while she was describing like while listening to her describe her reaction to her mother dying, like being like, Okay, Lisa, keep it in. Keep your shit together. <laughs> You're about to buy wine. Ten percent, Lisa. Ten percent. Ten percent. Well, is there anything else we need to talk about for this book? You can't talk about any more food, which is very disappointing. Saturday. Oh, Saturday. can't wait to show you shrimp chips. <laughs> it's gonna be so good. Can't wait to see shrimp chips. <laughs> they look like chips. Ooh, honey butter chips too. Oh. You're missing out so much. Stop it, Lisa. Right, announce next month. Announce next month. Okay, drum roll, please. Eat myself. We were given a request for a rom-com. We were indeed. So, 
Lisa is going to announce this book, but for our December book club pick, we have <gasps> Kiss Her Once for Me by Alison Cockrum. Oh, I'm very excited for this. I saw a TikTok that said it's a mythy. I am too. It's going to hopefully, hopefully no dead parents. Hopefully <laughs> yeah. they're all alive. Hopefully. Specifically hopefully. mothers. I don't care if they sim if they what's the Mufasa the shit out of dad. It's fine. No more dead moms. <laughs> no more dead moms. Um, send your thoughts, questions, um, attitudes towards, um, kiss her once for me to we are doing fine at gmail dot com. I've no idea if that was the right title name or not. As Lisa said, I'm tired. So that's <laughs> it from us this month. So until next month. Keep, Keep reading, reading fine. fine.